Red Rocks Church, how we doing? Are you excited to be in church this weekend? Come on, can you make some noise? Help me greet everybody around the world at all of our Red Rocks locations. Can you put your hands together, make some noise? Littleton, Lakewood, Arvada, Brussels, God Behind Bars in Austin, Texas. It's going to be a good weekend. We've been in a relationship series, and this is our last and final weekend. And I believe with all my heart, there's some size here in Littleton. Have you enjoyed this series? It's been good. I hope it's been a blessing to you. But we're going to finish with something that I believe is going to be a great way to put a bow on top of what God's already done. Last week, if you missed out, you missed out. Uh, Doug Weckenman, our lead pastor of our Austin campus, he taught on the topic of shame. And he talked about the, the five-letter curse word to all of our relationships is this idea of shame that when it comes into your relationship, it has not only the ability to sever your relationship with God, but it has an opportunity to step in between your relationships with others. In, in, in theory, what he talked about last week was that sometimes in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our compromise, one of the things that we can often feel is a sense of shame and condemnation. Doug said that, listen, your, your identity doesn't necessarily come from your mistakes or from your history. God actually, when he sees you in your shame and in your mistakes, he points to your sin and he says, that act is unacceptable. What shame does is the enemy creeps in and he says, because of what you have done, you are unacceptable. And there's a huge difference between the two. And so I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear this, you need to make sure that you go back, listen to last weekend. It's going to be amazing. And it'll help bring this whole series to a culmination this week because this weekend we're going to talk about another one of those silent killers in our relationships. And it's the idea of forgiveness. A lot of us in this room, there's been difficult things that have happened inside of our lives, and one of the most challenging things to do when you have been hurt or somebody has wronged you is to turn around and to extend forgiveness. And so I want to talk this weekend about forgiveness because I believe there's just a very simple truth as it relates to forgiveness, and it's this. Forgiveness is very hard. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, but you probably already know that. You're probably, your experiences have probably already reinforced this. And if you don't believe that forgiveness is hard, try and teach a child to forgive. You'll realize how much you really understand forgiveness. I can remember some stories uh, growing up with my brother. Some of you guys know my story, and I'm one of eight children. And so growing up, our house was a madhouse. And I can remember many different occasions of my brother and I upstairs in our bedroom. We shared a room together. And on one occasion, as I was writing this message, I remembered it was like a UFC match had broken out inside our bedroom. We were in our underwear, just socking each other. This was just weeks ago. And as we were just beating up on each other, what would always happen is one of us would get really hurt. You know, when you get hit in the face and then you, you just out of outrage, you poke him in the eye or you do something a little over the top. Well, we had one of those occasions where I went a little over the top and I could remember my brother ran downstairs as quickly as he possibly could and he started telling my mom and he's crying. He's like, he hit me in the face, mom. He did it on purpose. And so my mom calls me down and I come downstairs and she says, Ronnie, did you punch your brother in the face? And I said, yeah, but he hit me first. 
And my mom is in the middle of this dilemma, this argument, trying to reconcile us, trying to get us to just forgive one another. And she says, Ronnie, you need to ask for forgiveness. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing that, mom. He punched me first. He punched me first. And then right after she's gone back and forth with us, trying to convince us that forgiveness is important, one of us decides, okay, I'm gonna be the bigger man here. And, and I think it was probably my brother. And he says, Ronnie, would you forgive me? And I looked at him in the face and I was like, no, you punched me first. You punched me first. And so we went back upstairs and, we, and World War II broke out again inside our bedroom. And then next thing I know, my brother runs downstairs again. And this time he's holding his cheek and he came up to my mom and he's like, mom, Ronnie bit me in the face. And so my mom yells upstairs. She's like, Ronnie, get down here now. I've had it. I've had it, you two need to get along and you need to learn to forgive one another. And so I came downstairs and she said, did you bite your brother in the face? And I said, no. And she says, why does he have big teeth marks on his cheek? And I said, mom, he bit himself. <laughs> Come on, forgiveness is hard. When you've been punched, when you've been kicked, when you've been hurt, it's really hard to extend forgiveness. Most of us know that forgiveness is the right thing, but forgiveness is really hard. Just moments ago, just for, for giggles, I threw up a question on Instagram, and I asked some of the people, I said, what keeps you from forgiving the people that have hurt you? And really, I was just sending it out to see if I was kind of on track for this weekend, see if anybody was gonna get anything out of it. And some of the responses were really helpful. You might find yourself in some of their responses. I said, what keeps you from forgiving the people that have hurt you? One person said, sometimes forgiveness is really painful because it means digging up stuff you don't want to. Another person says, I have a hard time forgiving because there's usually lack of accountability for their actions. Another person said, it's hard to forgive people with bad breath. <laughs> that was probably my wife. Another person says, oftentimes pride gets in the way. I feel justified to hold a grudge because they have wronged me. Another person says, I would probably say fear gets in the way. I'm afraid to be hurt again. Anybody been there? Another person says, listen, I have the need to teach them a lesson, making them feel similar pain to what I felt, unforgiveness. Another person says, the hardest people to forgive are the ones that don't show any remorse, don't show any change for their behaviors. Another person says, the thought that if I do, I'll have to reconcile and correct the half of the relationship that I messed up. It's real. I love this one, this is my last one. It says, not forgiving them gives me the sense of power over them. I don't know in your relationships what keeps you from forgiving people, but oftentimes I know that there's people in this room, you have been through some really difficult situations and sometimes it's a little bit easier to suppress the pain than to act the way that God wants you to according to the pain that you've been inflicted with. And I want to encourage some of you today that maybe, maybe just for a moment we could just kind of peel back the layers of our heart and maybe some of the areas that you've been hiding, maybe out of protection for yourself. Some of you have been living in unforgiveness because you go, listen, if I can just hold the relationship from an 
arm's distance. I'll, I'll be protected. Like they can't get back to me. They're not gonna hurt me again. I, I let it happen once. It's not gonna happen again. And so you think that forgiveness is going to protect you, but forgiveness, unforgiveness, is often an illogical and improper view of control. You're trying to hold the offender at a distance, thinking that they will never be able to hurt you again. But what the Bible tells us is that when we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, we actually place ourselves in a prison. Some of you have been carrying around unforgiveness in your heart, and you haven't even recognized that you have been dragging dead corpses into all of your relationships. Some of you, the reason why you have a hard time sleeping at night, and the reason why you have anxiety, the reason why you get headaches, the reason why you get stomach aches, science will actually prove that unforgiveness affects us physically. But we get so good at repressing and suppressing these feelings of forgiveness that sometimes it can just feel so normal. And I wonder, maybe are your relationships suffering right now because of the unforgiveness that you have just chosen to keep at an arm's distance. There's a story in, in the Bible, if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 18, and it's this parable that Jesus is telling to his disciples. He's trying to teach them about what it looks like, kind of the knee-jerk, if you will, of a disciple. He's trying to teach them a characteristic of what real forgiveness looks like. And in verse 18, in verse, um, chapter 18, verse 21, it starts this way. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, he's talking to Jesus, he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he asks a great question. He says, as many as seven times. And if you think about this, this is kind of a generous explanation. He's going, listen, God, if somebody comes to me and they offend me, they, they, they act against me, they hurt me up to seven times, is that kind of the limit? Do I forgive them up to seven times? Is that kind of the threshold? And if you put it another way, you could just imagine Peter almost asking this, listen, if somebody robs me seven times, is that the limit? It's pretty generous. If, if somebody cheats on me seven times, could you imagine forgiving somebody seven times over? It's a pretty generous explanation, but look what Jesus says. In the next verse, in 22, he says this, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Could you imagine being offended, hurt, betrayed 77 times over and every single time you extend forgiveness? Think about this. What Jesus is saying is pretty revolutionary because what he's doing is he's speaking to his disciples, but really what he knows he's gonna be doing is he's gonna be speaking to all the followers of Jesus Christ here today. So he decides, listen, sometimes people can create their own imaginary understanding of what forgiveness really is. And so he says, I'm gonna make it really clear. Let me tell you a story about forgiveness. And so look what he goes on to say. In verse 23, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, aka the lifestyle of a believer, the, the culture of those that follow Christ, he says, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Then, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I wanna stop here because we need to talk through some currency conversion rates. 
10,000 talents could sound like maybe it's an equivalent of $10,000. That's not the case. There's a lot of discrepancy on what a talent was attributed to as far as a currency or a monetary amount. Some people, you could use talents for silver, you could use talents for gold, and so some of the conversion rate isn't super clear, but the most conservative value that I came across was $2.5 billion, with a B. This man owes $2.5 billion. This is gonna hit mainstream news. The SEC is gonna get involved, the FBI. Like this would hit mainstream news for most of us. And look what it goes on to say. This is amazing, verse 25. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now let's just hold up for a second. Think about this. He's going, I know I owe you $2.5 billion, but if you just give me a little bit of time, I can pay you back. I'm going, how much money do you make, and are you hiring? Right, $2.5 billion this man owes to this king, and he says, if you just give me a little bit of time, I promise I can pay you back. I promise. Like, just give me a chance. And look what it goes on to say. He says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And the Bible says that out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now this part of the story is very, very important. The Bible doesn't say, so the master forgave him and gave him a little bit more time to pay him back. The Bible says that the master forgave the debt. Meaning the master looked at this man owing him an insurmountable amount of money, an illogical, incomprehensible amount of money, and he says, listen, man, your plea, it really, it really moved me. You know what? You don't even worry about it. Like, don't worry. This is on me. You seem like a really great guy. Don't worry about it. Be forgiven. Go on. Could you imagine what this man probably felt emotionally? You have been forgiven the greatest debt of your entire life. You could have never paid it back even if you tried. And the king says, this one's on me. Please don't skim past this. If you do, the rest of this talk is gonna be so, so, so not important to you. This man forgave the debt. Oftentimes when we extend forgiveness to someone, we go, I forgive you, but pay me back. You broke my iPhone, I forgive you. I know it was an accident, but it's gonna be $800, right? Like I forgive you, but you opened your door into the side of my car, you're gonna need to pay for the damages. You sexually assaulted me as a child. I'm gonna harbor unforgiveness so that you can feel a little bit of what I feel. And I'm not gonna forgive you until you pay. I wonder in your life what forgiveness might look like. Like when you forgive somebody, have you misappropriated? Have you given it your own definition? Like I said I forgive you, so I forgive you. Jesus is gonna tell this story that this is much different. They're actually, it, 
the, the idea of forgiving somebody involves having a debt that is never paid. I wonder, do we forgive like Jesus is saying? I wonder, did Jesus tell this because he was speaking to an audience of his disciples, his core guys, noticing that maybe their forgiveness was misappropriated? It says, and out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, watch this. He says, but when the same servant, the one who was just forgiven, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. In comparison, this is a couple thousand bucks. He says, and he seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and plead with him. He says, have patience with me. I'll, I'll pay you. I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in a prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31, when his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And when they reported to their master all that had taken place, then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33 says, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In verse 34, and in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debts. Verse 35, Jesus sucker punches him. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I know this is really heavy. Jesus is painting for us a picture of forgiveness. And for some of you that have been hurt so deeply, this is not a message you wanna hear. Because you're going, listen, they owe me an insurmountable price. Like the way that they've hurt me time and time again, my trust is gone, my dignity is gone, my innocence is gone. Like they gotta pay me back for what they've taken from me. Ain't no way am I gonna forgive them until they pay me what I'm due. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you wanna be forgiven, you gotta forgive people the way that I have forgiven you. And as the disciples are sitting there listening to this story, I can promise you lights are going off, but little did they know that just a short amount of time later, Jesus was going to demonstrate this parable with his life. The Bible says that the, the Lord our God is perfect. There is no flaw inside of him. And so when he sent Jesus Christ, he goes, listen, there's gonna be this like separation, a distance between creator and his creation, you and I. Because of their sinful, wicked ways, they're, they're gonna be in an insurmountable amount of debt. Like they're never gonna be able to repay back with all their moral living, with their right living. They're never gonna be able to pay it back to justify themselves to a relationship with God. And God goes, listen, here's what I'll do. I got an idea. I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna pay the entire debt. And once he does, they're gonna be able to live freely and lightly. But here's the only stipulation. All that I'm gonna ask is if you've received this forgiveness, go and forgive. Like, can you go and forgive? 
Can you go and forgive? You can put your hands together for that. We've received this. For those of us that are in Christ Jesus, he's paid for us an insurmountable amount of debt. Most of us say, once you repay me, I'll forgive you. Once you repay me. I love what John Calvin says. He says that forgiveness is the expunging of debt. Like in order for forgiveness to be present, there must also be debt. Because if somebody is able to repay, all that you have is repayment. You don't have forgiveness. Forgiveness, in essence, in definition, is the payment and the expunging of a debt on somebody else's behalf. It is saying, you owe me nothing. It's the expunging. And the fact that a debt is still in existence constitutes the need for forgiveness. So some of you are going, man, I don't necessarily know that I'm wanting somebody to pay. Let me just read you a couple of things. This is what it, this is what it looks like in a relationship to make somebody pay. See if you find yourself here. We can make somebody pay by withholding time and attention. I forgive you, but I'm gonna make you pay a little bit. Withholding affection from a loved one or a spouse. I forgive you, sweetheart, but you ain't getting none of this. <laughs> what about depriving a parent, for all of the students in the house, of the honor that they are due because of their position, not because of their behavior? Are you making your parent pay when Jesus says, cover the tap, give him honor anyway? What about depriving a child of love or trust because of what they've done? Son, daughter, I forgive you, but you're gonna pay a little bit. You're gonna pay a little bit. What, what about refusing to acknowledge somebody's accomplishments, a special occasion or achievements in their life? I know it's their birthday, but they screwed me over. For some of you, it's the inability to receive a gift from somebody that has hurt you. They're just giving me this because they know they're in a hole. They're just doing this because they know that they owe it to me. I'm not gonna receive a gift from my mom. She's treated me like garbage my whole life. I'm gonna return that today. I don't need that. She knows that she owes me. What about rejoicing in somebody else's suffering? Friends, these are some of the ways that we make people pay. Sometimes we say one thing with our mouth and then we make other people live out something that is completely contrary to what Jesus is saying. Friends, you can't find forgiveness anywhere else like this than those that follow Jesus Christ. This is unforgiveness. I'm gonna make you pay. I love what Matthew 6, 14 says. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And then in verse 15, he says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I want you to feel the weight of this. And, and here's kind of what, this is how I think about it. If you've ever traveled with a young kid, you know that when you travel with a young kid, you're sitting there in your seat and a flight attendant's gonna come up and before you take off, they say, hey, listen, in the unlikely event that we lose cabin pressure, make sure that you apply your mask before helping someone else. 
This is kind of what the Bible is saying. He's saying, listen, there's no way that you could give this kind of forgiveness if you haven't first experienced it for yourself. But the opposite is true. There is no way that you can experience this kind of forgiveness and not extend it to someone else. I wonder, are some of you dying right now? You, you, you think that you've experienced the forgiveness that Jesus has given to you, but when it comes to somebody else wronging you, you go, oh man, that is, that is unacceptable. Woo, you are gonna pay, right? We do that all the time. Like, you're gonna have to dig yourself out of the hole before, you, before I forgive you, but yet time and time again, how many of us know our own sin, we know our own flaws, and the fact that God says that he will forgive us when we repent, period. It is illogical. I know my sin, and the fact that God says, I got you. Like, like Jesus, you got even the sin that I do all the time. I got you. Well, you mean that even, even after the hundredth time that I've done this, you will forgive me? I got you. Like, even, even though I can't seem free to, to break free from this addiction, you still got me? You're perfect and I'm dirty and you still got me? The Bible says that while you and I were still sinners... Jesus took on the cross. He says, listen, I know that you're still dirty. I know that you're still broken. I know that we're still disconnected, but I'm gonna take on the cross anyway, and I'm gonna pay for the forgiveness of sin far in advance. You will never be able to live up to the standard, but don't worry, I'll cover the debt. I wanna give us three principles that I believe are gonna help us as we look to live lives of forgiveness and for some of you in here that want to claim the title of Christian, this is not a, you don't get a decision in this. You cannot claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and not live out the forgiveness. It's like claiming to be married, but not wanting to be committed. Jesus is saying, listen, you could be a Christ follower. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to earn this. You can't deserve this. I got you, but here's some things that I want you to do. If you're gonna receive this illogical love and this illogical forgiveness, I need you to extend an illogical love and an illogical forgiveness to a world that so desperately needs it because there's only one place in all of humanity that they're gonna find this, and it's the church of Jesus Christ. So I wanna to give to you a couple, a couple quick pointers. If you wanna live a life of forgiveness, and I wanna uh, illustrate this first one by one of the most embarrassing stories of my entire life. This senior year of high school for me, uh, Kara got elected to be the prom queen, my wife, because she's smoking hot, so why wouldn't you? So she asked me, she's like, hey listen, I I'm prom queen, I gotta go to this dance, do you wanna come with me? And, and I'm like a conservative Christian church boy from the Midwest. I've never danced a day or a move in my life. And she says, do you wanna come to the dance with me? And I'm like, of course. If you're not gonna take me, you'll probably take somebody else. So of course I wanna be there. Little did I know that when you're the prom queen, there's some attention to you. And so during some of these dance times, my, my wife, there's these like dance circles and people are just doing all these crazy moves. And here I am, I've never danced a day in my life. And so I'm standing there, if you've ever seen Hitch, I, I just stayed at home base the whole time. 
mountain with the prom queen, you know what I mean? And so Kara's jumping in circles and she's getting down and she's like doing all these crazy dance moves and I'm standing there off to the side like the, the white guy right in the corner just doing the, doing the jump. And I'm sitting there going, I am so out of place. I've never danced a day in my life and here I am, they're just cutting it up. I don't know the songs because all I listen to is Hill's song, you know? And they're just like cutting the rug, doing dance-offs and people doing the splits and one guy jumped in there and he's doing these like twists and break dance moves and I'm just at home base. And I started to realize, I left that thing, number one, I was super humiliated, but I'm just going, man, I got no rhythm. And I remember telling my parents, I'm like, it was so embarrassing, it was fun being with Kara, she's the bomb, but man, I was just the, it was like I was filming an audition video for like white man can't dance or something like that. I felt so out of place. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, it's not that I don't have a sense of rhythm. Like I grew up playing music. I've, I've converted rhythm to music my whole life. Like I've con- c- converted metronomes to music my whole life. I know beats, I, like I know rhythms, I know scales, I know how to strum a guitar, I know how to sing songs. Why is it that I can't convert rhythm to movement, but I can create rhythm to music. The reason is I had never grown up with the rhythm of movement. My dad is the whitest dude you've ever met. He's an academic, he's a professor, he's a theologian. We don't dance in my house. So what I started to realize is the reason I can't dance is because I have never practiced the art of taking rhythm to movement. So in my house, we do dance parties. So we turn on the radio and we just go nuts with my little daughter, Ara, and she can already dance better than me and she's gonna be two in a couple weeks here, but she can dance better than me. So we turn on Baby Shark and we just start, you know what I mean? We just start going for it. You you know what I'm talking about, parents? Daddy Shark, do-do-do-do-do. What I realized is the reason I couldn't dance is because I never developed the practice of taking rhythm to movement. And so I'm like, my daughter's not gonna have that same problem. We're gonna cut the rug together. But what I realized is point number one that I wanna leave you with. Forgiveness takes rhythm. Forgiveness takes rhythm. See, I I was standing there going, I can't dance. The problem wasn't I couldn't dance. The problem is that I had never practiced the rhythm of movement. And some of you are going, listen, I'm stuck in a position that I cannot forgive. And I'm gonna just tell you, listen, the problem is not with your inability to forgive. The problem is you need to get your rhythm back with forgiveness. Some of you have lost the ability to forgive people in some of the small moments in everyday life. When your spouse doesn't meet the expectation, husband tells you he's gonna be home at five, he's home at six. Says he's gonna pick you up from school and he forgets. You say that you're gonna do something and then don't. We get opportunities all the time to forgive, but most of us have lost our rhythm of forgiveness so that when a big offense comes, we go, I can't forgive somebody of that. But what I've learned about forgiveness is when you get into the rhythm of forgiveness, you start to learn that the more that I forgive, the more free I get. The more that I forgive, the more free I get. Someone once said that unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking a vial of poison, hoping that the other person dies. You see, when I forgive, just like this man in this parable, when I forgive, I 
walk in freedom. When I harbor unforgiveness in my heart, that's when I create my own prison. Friends, forgiveness is setting free a prisoner and realizing that the prisoner the whole time was you. I wonder if some of you, you need to get your rhythm back. You need to start getting into a rhythm of forgiveness that when somebody wrongs you, even in the smallest, on the smallest way, even when they can't pay you, you go, oh my goodness, this is it, this is my shot, and you begin to just forgive them. I don't need anything from you. You get your swagger back. You start realizing the joy of forgiveness because the more that you forgive, the more freedom you will experience in your life. And the more you forgive, the more you will take notice of the forgiveness that's been given to you. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together if you're excited about the forgiveness. Forgiveness takes rhythm. The second point, if you're taking notes, the second point is this. Forgiveness takes remembrance. Forgiveness takes remembrance. One of the, the things that stinks the most about forgiveness is that there's no faking it till you make it. Either you are forgiving or you are not. And one of the things that's really helpful, I love the, the, the passage in Ephesians 4.31. It says this, be kind to each other, tenderhearted. And look what he goes on to say, forgiving one another just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. If you wanna forgive people, you have to get into the pattern of remembrance. The Bible says, listen, I want you to forgive. Jesus says, forgive others. But he says, listen, I'm not gonna leave you high and dry. I'm gonna go first. And so don't, don't, don't confuse yourself for a moment into a forgiveness that is of your own mind. He says, I'm gonna show you what forgiveness looks like. Like, I'm gonna show you the bounds of forgiveness. I wanna demonstrate it for you. But listen, you're just gonna have to continue to remember what I've done for you. Some of you, one of the best things that you could begin to do is in light of your own sinfulness, consider how has God forgiven me? I promise you it will transform the way that you view yourself, but more importantly, it will transform the way that you are able to extend forgiveness to others. One of the most important aspects of forgiveness is remembering. I wonder when was the last time that you remembered and you reconsidered what God has done for you? One of the shocking verses in the Bible in the book of Romans says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay. It's interesting. He, he uses some of the same terminology. I will repay. Some of us are going, I'm going to make you pay. And God's going, no, vengeance is mine. I've already paid. Listen, for, for, for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, and there's people in your life that claim to be a Christian, Jesus is going, listen, you don't get to point the finger and make them pay because I already paid for their behavior on the cross. Vengeance is mine. Don't make them pay for something that I've paid for because what happens is when you withhold forgiveness from a believer, you spit in the face of Jesus Christ and you go, listen, it's really great. I know that you say that you've paid for it, on the cross, but the cross isn't enough. Like Jesus, I know that they claim to be a Christian, but they really hurt me. You don't know how bad it hurts. Like I'm gonna make them pay. And when you do that, you say the cross wasn't enough. I need more payment than the cross. I demand more payment than the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And the even more shocking thing is, is that the Bible says that for those that are not in Christ Jesus, for those that have not put their faith in Jesus, the Bible says that there's a day coming when they're gonna give an account for every improper decision. They're gonna stand before the judgment seat of God and the Bible says that they're gonna be held accountable. And he says that for those that have never professed the faith in Jesus Christ, they're gonna live separated for all of eternity. And so when you don't forgive an unbeliever, you're saying, God, your judgment, it's not, it's not good enough. Like, I want them to pay more than separation from you for eternity. Like, if you would see how disgusting unforgiveness is in the eyes of Jesus, the cross was enough, his judgment is enough, and if we could just begin to live that way, we'd have freedom. But it takes remembrance. Vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. The third thing that I want you to remember and to consider if you want to live a life of forgiveness is forgiveness takes focus. Forgiveness takes focus. If you're taking notes, would you write this down, please? Take a picture of the screen. The key to forgiveness is to stop focusing on what others have done to us and focus on what Jesus has done for us. I'm gonna say it again. The key to forgiveness is to stop focusing on what others have done to us and to focus on what Jesus has done for us. Some of you have been through very, very, very traumatic situations and I'm not asking you to diminish what they have done, I'm just asking would you just focus on what he has done. There's a huge difference. Most of us think that when we forgive, we're just accepting, okay? This, I can't change the past. And he's saying, no, forgiveness is writing off the debt. Could you focus not on what people have done to you, but focus on what Jesus has done for you? It would change the way that you live. It would empower you to forgive people when they don't deserve it. I wonder, do some of you need to shift your focus today? One of the things that's most detrimental about living your life this way, looking at it, what everybody has done to you, judging the quality of your life by what others do to you, is it forces you to live outward to inward. And the reason that Jesus came is so that we could live inward to outward. There's changes something on the inside of us so that so much of what happens in our life gives us peace because we know Jesus has done something so unshakable in my heart and in my soul. It's not that what others do they shouldn't be held accountable for. It's not that what others do doesn't matter. It's not that you should diminish the pain that you've been through. I'm just asking, would you just lean in to what he's done for you? Some people are only gonna see this kind of forgiveness through you. As I was praying for this weekend, I'm like, God, can you just do something so amazing? This weekend, we'll have over 14,000 people gathered at all of our locations. We can applaud for that. But it comes with a price. I believe that what I came to share to our church this weekend was just a sobering perspective. I'm sorry if it's heavy. But we carry such a burden. We have thousands of people coming to say, listen, just tell me about what it means to follow him. 
this is what it means. And my question this weekend is, will you pay that price? Will you dig into that place where people have hurt you in such disgusting ways? Where your innocence has been robbed? Where insecurities have been reinforced because of what people have done to you? I know it's costly, but Jesus gave his life. Forgiveness takes rhythm. Some of you need to get your rhythm back. You need to start looking for the little ways that people offend you and hurt you. For the ways that people don't meet the expectations. For the ways that people go back on their words. And you need to start getting your swagger back. Get your rhythm back. Start going, I'm going to look for every opportunity to forgive. And you watch as things begin to accumulate. Big situations come into your life. You go, I'm ready for it because I got my rhythm. I'm ready for it. It takes remembrance. You need to remember what Jesus has done for you. And maybe most important of them all, it takes focus. Stop focusing on what others have done to you. And remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. At all of our locations, if you're able, would you stand to your feet? Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending us Jesus Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Psalm 103.10 says, He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For His unfailing love towards us, towards those who fear Him, is as great as the heights of heavens above the earth. And this is amazing. Verse 12 says, He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Some of you need to remember. Maybe you've allowed some of the situations in your life to define you. And I need to to remind you today that in the eyes of Jesus, when you repent, when you ask for forgiveness, he says, not only am I going to forgive you, I'm not even going to remember them anymore. This is crazy because a God that knows everything is going to choose to forget your failure. When he sees you, he doesn't see a Rolodex of failure. He says, I'll wipe it clean. As far as the east is from the west, it's no more. I wonder, do you need to remember that this weekend? Some of you that came in here with the weight upon your shoulders. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember the unfailing love of the Lord. My hope is that at all locations, we would just fix our focus upon Jesus. The book of Hebrews says, lay aside every hindrance every weight we can only do that when we fix our eyes on Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed I want to pray for you Holy Spirit in this place would you just bring to memory the depth of your love for us 
for whatever reason, God, you've chosen to turn a blind eye towards those who have asked for forgiveness of our sins. You don't label us with our sins. You, do, you don't place us in a box. You don't belittle us. You don't make us second-tier citizens in heaven. But God, you decide to restore us and that because you died for us upon the cross, Lord, you say that when God looks at us, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Some people need to remember that today, Lord, that there's forgiveness available to them. God, there's others that have walked into this place, walked into all of our buildings, or they're watching this at a later time, and they've never experienced this sort of forgiveness. They've had to walk through their life feeling the weight of their sin, feeling the weight of their mistakes. And Jesus, you came to not only be able to remove the weight and the burden of our sins, but you came to give us heaven forever. And God, today, I know that there's some people in this place, there's some people at all of our locations, God, that have never placed their faith in you. And your word says that if we would just confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we would believe in the depths of our heart that he died for our sins and he, was ro he rose again on our behalf, that we will be saved. So God, I just pray that in this place, if there's somebody that doesn't know you today, God, would you stir within their heart? Would you reveal to them the forgiveness that is available to them? God, I just pray, Lord, would you do something profound in their life? And God, the only requirement of your forgiveness is that we would turn around to a world that so desperately needs it. We would begin to remove restrictions. We would say, this one's on me. I got the tab. You, your debt has been forgiven. Jesus, would you help us get our rhythm back? Jesus, would you help us remember you more clearly? And Jesus, would you help us to get our focus back? And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said... Come on, can we put our hands together? Come on, you can do better than that. Your debt has been paid. As a last charge this weekend, I want to encourage you as we worship, would you go deep this weekend? Some of you need to forgive some people in your life. I want to encourage you real fast. This just came to me. There's a big difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes you. Some of you, you need to be freed of that this weekend. You can forgive somebody without their engagement and involvement. Some of you need to forgive some people that have already passed. There's a big difference between your forgiveness and reconciliation. And this weekend, all I'm asking you to do is, would you forgive some people this weekend? Demonstrate the forgiveness that you've received because that's what Jesus asks of you. Come on. As we go deep this weekend, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to some people, bring to their memory some of the relationships, Lord, that have been severed because of offense, that they have been severed because of sin. And God, I just pray this weekend at Red Rocks Church, there would be thousands of people that would begin to demonstrate the unconditional forgiveness that they have received from you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen.